on, a, on occasion in, in the past, Therese would, would uh, have a part-time job. She, one of her favorite ones that she worked at was the YMCA. I think one of the key reasons we worked at the Y is because if you work there, you get free family membership. And so we uh, took advantage of that. I mean, they pay you squat. But it worked out well for us because we took advantage of all the activities that the Y gave us. Uh, at one point, not too long back, she left her wallet there. Uh, behind the desk, we didn't think a whole lot about it, but we did call them right away. The manager found the wallet and we went through her. We went, went through it on the phone with the manager and they had all the stuff in there that was supposed to be in there. So, okay, that's great. Manager was going to put it in the safe for us. A couple of days later, when we went to pick it up, we noticed that the driver's license and the credit cards were missing. And sure enough, somebody had gone on a shopping spree. One of the employees there had gone on a shopping spree uh, in our name. Uh, several well, weeks before that, Therese had left her purse uh, in a dressing room at, a, I think, a Kohl's or something. Uh, and, and as she was out, somebody uh, came in the back way and rifled through the purse and took the credit cards. Before that, Therese had left her purse. Are we seeing a pattern here? <laughs> She's not here today. She, she uh, left her purse in a gas station bathroom. And so we, oh, no. So we recognize, we give them a call, and the clerk finds the purse. Oh, everything looks intact. We got there, and the credit cards were still here. Yay! But someone had stolen the $250 iPod right out of the thing. So, oh, no. A while back, my identity, I guess they're calling it, my credit card numbers, was stolen off of the... Uh, Internet and someone went to Guatemala uh, under my name as well. You know, there's not a whole lot in this life that will rile us more than people ripping us off. Don't you don't you love it if, if a salesman has told you and promised you something and you believe him and you go in and you buy this thing and you get home and it does nothing like it and you go back looking for the salesman and he's evaporated. He's just not around. He's never worked here before. You don't know what this is about. Or he doesn't remember anything saying something like that to you. Amazing things. Well, we are looking today at the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Only two words in Hebrew. No stealing. And if we were to look back over that, the headlines of, of the human race from the very beginning, this has always been, has always been there. I mean, this, this started with Eve when she stole what she wasn't supposed to steal, the fruit she wasn't supposed to have, right? And has just continued on. I mean, today you've got Des Bryant, uh, star wide receiver of the Cowboys, allegedly ordered some very expensive jewelry, picked it up, but then decided he wasn't going to pay for it. And if you go back just a little bit further, you've got uh, former governor of Illinois, Rob Blagovich. I never get his name right. But he, he, was, he had the prerogative of, of appointing someone to take President Obama's Senate seat when President Obama went to the White House. But instead, he tried to sell the Senate seat. You go back a little bit further and you got Bernie Madoff. And you think you could trust Bernie Madoff. He was the, the chairman of the Nasdaq Stock Exchange for a while. Well, he enters into a fraudulent hedge fund where he steals over $50 billion. I mean, that's a lot of money to steal. And if you go back a little bit farther, and it's still going on today, actually, the Somalian pirates who steal massive oil tankers out of the Persian Gulf. And you keep going back and you find Enron execs stealing from their shareholders. And you go back further and you see Martha Stewart assessing illegal inside trader information to protect her assets and then lying about it. And you go back further and you find Al Capone. And you know all the stuff Al Capone did. But what's the one reason he goes to jail? 
Tax evasion, which lets us know you can do lots of bad things in this world, but you better not try to steal from Uncle Sam because he's not going to let you get away with that. And you say, this is pathetic. Martha Stewart's name and Al Capone's name mentioned in the same sentence. What is that about? Well, it, it, we look at the Eighth Commandment, and this is one that kind of gets us mad because we don't think that we're perpetrators of this one. We're victims of this one. We say, okay, man, I haven't, I've never ran a Ponzi scheme and I haven't tried to sell any Senate seats and I don't, I haven't ripped off any oil tankers. So, so I check, I've got this one nailed. Let's move on. Bring on nine. Maybe that one has some application. And of course, none of us have violated eight. I understand that. But because God has included it in the list, maybe we should humor him this morning and just look at it a little bit more closely. Thou shalt not steal. Well, we're going to define this. And work with me because the definition is going to carry us through the, the message. It's, it's uh, I think, it's Webster's or one of the dictionaries I came up with. It says that it's acquiring that which belongs to another as your own without paying for it. Uh, John Calvin said that it was unjust gain at another's expense. And I think we can tweak those two definitions. And follow me, I think we're, we're, we're right with this. I think this incorporates the spirit of number eight. It's seeking my advantage, not a fair exchange. Now, let me say that definition again, because when you go on that definition, we have to hesitate a little bit more before we start saying this one's not mine. Seeking my advantage, not a fair exchange. Now, the reason why this can get so confusing for us is because stealing really comes in several different flavors. You know, it comes in armed robbery, right? Where we we seek to gain someone else's stuff by force or threat of force. You know, this is armed robbery or mugging or this is the, the bully shaking down the kids on the playground for their lunch money. All of those kind of things. Armed robbery. And also we can get stealing. We can acquire other people's things by burglary, by by stealth. When they're not looking, we stick it in our purse. We hide it in our coat. When they're not paying attention, we move things around. By stealth, we acquire their things. A third way we can acquire other people's things for our own is by deception. We, we misrepresent the truth of what we're, we're, what's really going on, what's really happening, and we, we acquire what is theirs without having to, to pay for it. Now, is there, we, we look at how you steal, and this is important for us. There are different ways we steal. One way is we steal by just taking, straight up taking. Now, employers steal from their employees when they do not offer an appropriate wage, when they withhold benefits that, that legally they should not be withholding, when the employer recognizes the desperation in the employee and therefore shifts the hours and changes the circumstances and makes things a little bit more difficult because they recognize the desperation. That's when employers steal from employees. Now, employees can steal from employers by petting the expense report, right? Buying something personal on the company's tab. Uh, we can steal from employers by uh, our work, time. I know I'm getting paid from this hour to this hour, but I might come in a little bit late. I might leave a little bit early. My lunch hour may, may elongate just a little bit. I might spend a little bit more time at the coffee machines. There are studies that say that if, in fact, the employee has access to the Internet, at least... At least 20% of his time will be used cyber slacking. 
You know, where you can actually, you're, you're checking your own personal email, you're checking your Facebook account, you're checking the news stories, the sports scores, your stock reports. You're doing, you're just, you're just spending a lot of time on the internet, personal stuff. You're shopping at eBay. You're doing all kinds of wonderful things on the internet other than work. I've seen some reports that say up to 40%. Of time. Uh, employees steal from employers by quality of work. I know I'm supposed to give this everything I've got, but you know what? I don't feel real good right now. For whatever reason, I can make up my excuses. I'm just not giving that time. Uh, employees steal from employers by straight up sneaking the tape dispenser in the purse when no one's looking, right? And the pens and a little bit of paper clips and some pads of paper and whatever else. And we find that, that customers steal from stores. And, of course, shoplifting. I I looked up uh, a site, National Association of Shoplifting Prevention. They say, so however credible these guys are, I don't know. I'm letting you know where it came from, though. They say that $35 million a day in America is shoplifted. They say that one in 11 Americans is a shoplifter. Makes you, makes you wonder who you're sitting next to, doesn't it? Hang on to your wallets. Who knows how this is going? We also know that we steal from stores, customers steal from stores by, um, how would you, I don't even know how you'd call this, uh, false returns. Not that you do this, but you know someone who's done this, right? Where they, they bring it back to the store and they say, you know what? That was broken when I pulled it out of the box. Really wasn't broken when you pulled out when it fell off the table it broke but but we're not going to tell them that or I'm missing that little gizmo it never came with it well the last time you saw the little gizmo was on your living room rug you don't know what happened to it but but it came with it or or it really I don't like the way it works when actually it works fine it accomplished the one purpose you bought this thing for and so you did it now you just don't need it anymore so you're you're bringing it back stores uh, steal from customers. By not staying behind their products, by promising the world about things. You know, I, I remember Teresa and I bought this, this dishwasher not too terribly long back. But this was the name brand, the state of the art. All of their dishwashers, if you were to listen to the salesman, he's great. All of, their, all of their dishwashers were based on this one. You know, stainless steel inside. It was nuclear powered. It was just incredible. It got everything clean. It, it was fantastic. It was a tank. And so because it's a tank and you listen to this guy, this is so incredible. Who needs the extended warranty, right? I mean, this thing is its going to last for forever. Well, of course, as soon as the warranty ended, the thing started busting apart. And all the inside stuff, the racks started cracking out. We had more duct tape on the inside holding our dishwasher together. And, of course, you call them up. And what do they say? Oh, so sorry, but I noticed here you did not purchase the extended warranty. It's like, oh, man, how do you do with that? Telemarketers steal from their clients. When they say things like, we've got an incredible trip for two to Florida for the next five days for $119, but you have to buy it right now. Give me your credit card number now. And what they don't tell you about is all the blackout days and how all these myriad of stars have to be aligned perfectly before you can take this thing and how it expires in 30 days. And so after you, you spend, basically you can't take it. We've got builders steal when they substitute cheaper materials. Craftsmen steal when they don't give their best effort. Insured steal from insurance companies when they enter a fraudulent claim. They lie a little bit about exactly what happened and the extent of damage. Insurance companies can steal when they don't process legitimate claims in a timely manner. Citizens steal from Uncle Sam when we don't claim the income that we should be claiming, when we claim deductions that we ought not to be claiming. We steal when we copy software. We don't use it according to its license. We steal 
when we copy illegally music from the Internet or someone else's iPod. And we haven't even begun talking about bribes and gambling and slumlords and charging exorbitant interest rates. I mean, we are thieves and we live in a land of thievery. And then the craziest thing about it is we justify it. And we say things like this. Well, you know what? Yeah, yeah, but they're rich. If God, so they got millions, they're not going to miss this. Matter of fact, I am sure they would give this to me if I asked them. I just don't want to bother them. So they're just rich. That's, that's not a problem. Or, or they're a corporation, right? All those commands and stuff that was about individuals. These guys are so big and they got a million tape dispensers in the back room in a box and they're going to throw them all away anyway. They're not going to miss one. Or we say they're sinful. You don't understand. This organization has ripped off so many people to get what they got. So somehow our logic tells us that because they've stolen from people, we can steal from them. So I give incredible logic there. Or we say things like they owe me. Now, you don't understand. Uh, come, I didn't steal anything. I just took what's rightfully mine. The last time pay raises came, guess who got missed? And they didn't give me a bonus, not like I deserved. And they've been heaping extra hours and extra responsibility. They, oh, this is mine. I'm just taking what they owe me. Or they say, everybody does it. It's not a big thing. It's like they they, they know we're going to do this. It's like they build it in somehow. You know, it's like a fringe benefit. They just expect you to take their stuff. So, so we just, we just do it. We justify. But let's look at the command Real, real, real quick for just a second. You shall not steal. Period. You notice there's no direct object there, right? You shall not steal from the poor inferring that you can steal from the rich. You shall not steal from the righteous inferring that you can steal from the unrighteous. No, it doesn't say that at all. It says you shall not steal. No stealing. Period. That's just the way it is. But sometimes when we do, we, we, we take pride, don't we? It's we're so clever. We got away with this one. <laughs> they didn't see what was coming. Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. God says, you think you're so smart, you think you're getting away with something, you you think you're so creative that you pulled it over that nobody knows. Oh, no, 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 I know. You're in trouble. Judgment is coming. Now, the the hard thing, the easy thing, I guess, about this one is that it's so subtle. And this is why it's subtle. It's because you and I desire to be good stewards, don't we? I mean, God has graced us with some things. We just want to be good stewards of it. And so we, we, we protect because we know that other people... What's in their heart is a desire to get it. And so we we guard our stuff. And there's maybe nothing wrong with that. But what we forget is that what's in the heart of the other people is also in our heart. And so when we go to to get a deal, we go to negotiate something, we often go in with a mindset that's not seeking a fair exchange. We're seeking, I'm going to get the best deal here however the scales tip when we're done they better tip in my favor a little bit i've got to get a little bit more than what i pay for and what we're saying when we say this right is and you have to have to give a little bit more than you're getting 
Some people, you know, this is a competition. This is a game. And they walk into negotiating rooms with, with, with gloves on. And they're ready to go to town. They're going to take them out. They're going to win. It's a victory thing. But it doesn't reflect a fair exchange. Now, again, I'm not saying anything about negotiating. I'm not even saying that, that we always agree with the salesperson on what a fair exchange is. But it's an issue of the heart. Number eight, like the rest of them, is an issue of the heart. Am I seeking a fair exchange or am I seeking for me to get my gain at their expense? That's the issue. Because when we're honest in our business dealings with our money, we reflect God. We've been noticing this with all of the the vertical commands, five on. Every one of them has a God line in there. Remember, five children obey their parents because parents reflect God in this world. Uh, Six, no murder because man was made in God's image. Seven, no adultery because the, the, the marriage is a reflection of God and his people. And here, we, we, we don't steal because what we're saying is this. Sovereign God, I know you're sovereign and I know you've given to all these people and you've given to me, but you made a mistake. You've given him more than what he needs and you haven't given me enough. Therefore, I'm going to take matters in my own hands and I'm going to get some of it. Uh, We're violating our understanding of of the sovereignty of God. You know, when you look at Scripture on this whole issue, it's amazing. We're going to do a series. There's so much about this in the Bible. In in the near future, we're doing a series, Confessions of a Stuffaholic. It's going to be a great series. Um, But but suffice it to say that when you you look at, at Scripture on this, it's fascinating because a lot of the other ancient law codes, they have two law codes, basically. If you steal from the powerful, major consequences. But if you steal from the less than powerful, it's not so bad. But in Scripture, in Scripture, God does not uh, let the rich out in a way because they're more powerful, nor does God hammer on them because they're affluent. God does not uh, give the the poor person a get-out-of-jail-free card simply because they're poor. Scripture's laws are are equally gracious in both places and equally judgmental, condemning in both places. There's one law. Now, it's interesting when you come to number eight. I think this is fascinating because one through seven, each of them, capital punishment. If you were to offend any of the seven, you're done. But eight, things shift. There's always forgiveness available for for eight, unless you were to steal somebody that's kidnapping different issue. There's capital punishment for that one. But there's always forgiveness available, but only in Scripture with restitution. If you follow the the law's commands on this, again, it's fascinating. First of all, if you steal from somebody and you get caught, you've got to pay back double. Not to the city, not to the state, the person you stole from. And this is, this is wonderful, isn't it? Because what I was hoping to gain, not only do I not gain it, I lose that exact amount. And this person, it almost got ripped off. They gain the amount that they almost got ripped off. Now, also, if you were to take somebody's livestock, somebody's animal, and then you were to, to butcher it, uh, again, probably you don't have a lot, a lot of temptation along those lines these days. But, but, but in a ranching community, you can see where this might happen. Uh, you have to pay back four or five times the amount. And again, this makes sense, doesn't it? I go to my neighbor's prize bull. When he's not looking, I walk this thing over to my house and we have a barbecue. Invite the whole family because this thing was massive. I get caught. 
So I give him my scrawny little uh, bull back. Oh, here you go. No, 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 no. The scripture takes that into account four or five times I have to repay. And if I can't repay, then I have to be sold into slavery to repay. Don't be thinking American slavery. Be, be thinking uh, you become a servant for 24-7 for a period of time until that bill is paid for. That's what they're referring to. And this is the greatest part about the whole law, I think. Let's say you steal, and then you're guilty, and you're convicted, and you realize, and everyone's talking about it, and you're feeling bad because you know you did it. So you turn yourself in. According to Scripture, you have to give, give back, and then your restitution is one-fifth of the value. I think that's wonderful. That there's still restitution... But it's, it's, it's a whole lot more manageable when, when you come to a place where you are. Uh, it's, it's all about transformation. When you are changing, they still want to take care of the person who was out because you ripped them off. They want to take care of their, their inconvenience. But it's not, it's not uh, so detrimental to you that you can't get beyond that. Now, here's the principle that works well with number eight. And here, here's, the, here's the principle. We own nothing. We are simply managers. It's, it's, it's as if we are all God's stockbrokers. God's given us stuff, and it's our job to manage it. Now, can you imagine? You go to your stockbroker, and, and you, you notice that he's taking his family on wild vacations, and he's buying some really nice stuff, and he's having a fun time in life, and you go, <laughs> I guess you're doing pretty good, huh? He says, yeah, all that money you gave me. We're just having a great time. You, whoa, 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 wait, 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 what are you talking about? I mean, that's, that's my money. That's not your money. Your, your, your job is not to spend my money for you. Your job is to manage my money. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. Remember, that's what we're supposed to be doing here. We are God's stockbrokers. We do not own anything. Everything God has, we have, God has given to us. And I can hear some folks saying, in the back of their mind, not too loud, of course, but in the back of their mind saying, nobody's given me anything. Everything I've got, I have worked hard for. Other people were making foolish mistakes. I made wise monetary decisions. Other people were choosing wrong companies to work with or they were uh, slackers. I worked very hard and got where I am by hard work and wisdom. That's why I've got what I've got. No one has given me anything. And Moses assumes that that argument's coming down the road. Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 and 18. He says, you may say to yourself... My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. He's saying, listen, you've got a great portfolio. You're doing pretty successful at work. But would you be as successful? Would you be in the same place if you were born with spina bifida, do you think? Yeah, life is really good for you right now, but, but would it be, you'd be in the same place if you were born with Down syndrome, if you were born in the, the, in the Himalayas in Nepal 200 years ago, would you be in that same place? I mean, who has given you those things? Oh, you're not yourself God, huh? Oh, that's right. That's right. God, so you have taken the things God has given you, and all you've done is what you were supposed to with it. God has given us those gifts. None of us choose where we're going to be. And you know as well as I do, a lot of these things are serendipitous. 
uh, I'm in the plane sitting next to someone and that's where a massive sale happens. I get out of college and I could go with company A or B. Who knows? But I go with A. My roommate goes with B. Several years later, B goes nowhere. It crashes and burns. My poor roommate is out. But my startup company that I went with is now flying and I'm the recipient of that. You know, as well as I do, it's serendipitous. Great, great aunt Margaret dies and leaves me all kinds of stuff. I've done nothing to get. And that's what Moses is saying here. The gifts that God has given you are gifts from, from God. Psalm 24, 1 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Ownership is an illusion. It's as if you and I are walking around in an art gallery and we're picking off the Picassos and the Surratts and the Renoirs and we're holding them underneath our arms. These are mine. And we're walking around. But one day when you try to leave, those don't come with you. Those stay here. Uh, that's why Job says in Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. There is no such thing as ownership. Just manager. That's all we are. So we can steal by taking, we can also steal by keeping or by hoarding. Uh, let me share a verse with you that is, is a fascinating verse. Ephesians 4.28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. And we think that's always about someone else. But let me just ask you to read your own name in there. Just, just, for the, just humor me for a second. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands. Why? So that your retirement fund will be built up fine, so that you can eat, so that your bills will be paid. No, those are good things. But that's not why we're to work. That he may have something to share with those in need. You see what's, what's happening with this. Y'all, y'all, the new covenant, they take the old covenant and they plug it in. Jesus takes six and he says, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you hate, you're under the same judgment. He takes seven and he says that you've heard not to commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust, you're under the same judgment. Here Paul is saying, you've heard that it was said, don't steal. But I tell you, be generous. I mean, what's the opposite of stealing? Stealing, you're trying to get it for yourself and hang on to it. What's the opposite? Generosity. Giving away. You want to know the best way to keep number eight? Be generous. Often we look at it and we say, I have not stolen anything. I think we can be self-deceived a little bit. But let me, let's change it a little bit. Yeah, but have you been generous with your best friends when they get together, the people who know you best, and they get together and talk about you? Would generosity be a word that's in their vocabulary? Are you generous? Uh, and uh, you hear folk say, well, I'm... I'm I would be generous, see, if I had more money. But see, I don't have anything right now. And so, but when I get some, then I'm going to be generous. You've been down that way? Now, you know people who've been down that way? Yeah, 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 right, right. Well, you need to know that that's a bunch of malarkey, uh, that generosity has nothing to do with the wallet and everything to do with the heart. Luke 21, look at this. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins worth about a half a penny. You're not going to buy a whole lot with this, right? I tell you the truth, he said. This is the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. 
All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The, the issue was, was not. Generosity had nothing to do with your pocketbook. It had everything to do with your heart. The question is not, how much money do you have? But how much does money have you? Right? You, you, we know some very wealthy people. Lots of money. Lots of money. But money doesn't have them. And we know. Some people who aren't as wealthy, maybe poor, don't have a lot of money, but money's got a strangle hold of their heart. Generosity has nothing to do with the pocketbook, everything to do with the heart. And students, let me uh, write on that one for just a second, because sometimes you say, I know, I know, that when I get out of college, see, and I start making some big bucks, start having to get some money coming in instead of coming out all the time, see, then I'm going to be generous. Don't go down that road because that's just not true. That's a lie from hell because you get out of school. And what do you got? You got college loans, don't you? And they're pretty substantial. And you decide that you finally get a job. Let's assume you can get a job in this economy. You get a job and then you got to get there. So you go buy a car. So you got the car, car bills coming at you as well. And then you meet someone you want to get married. And so, guys, you got to dig deep and get the ring and you're the honeymoon. And then you get back from there. You, you know, you'll start being generous when those things are taken care of. But then you come back from there. And what happens? Well, you need a house. You got to live somewhere. And so you got a mortgage and you'll start being generous as soon as the down payment is taken care of. And so the house is, is, is set. And then what happens? Children happen. Oh, man, children. And they need braces. I'm telling you, and they need violins. You know how much violins cost? You know how much bows for the violins cost? I, I, you want to talk to me afterwards, we'll talk. They need lessons, and they need cleats, and they need ballet recital outfits. And they, and they need, and they, and they eat a time, wait to become teenagers, right? And then when, 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 you're, when that has knocked you silly, they decide to go to college. And you're going, oh man, my slide loans are just getting done, and now I'm paying for someone else. And you're, you're paying for them. And then, when, when that's, you're in the middle of that, your, your elderly parents need some help and they need some assistance. And so you're trying to work with that. And then by the time that's taken care of, you're thinking about your own retirement. You should have been thinking that way back when. But you're thinking about your own retirement. And, and this idea of waiting till you've got enough till you can be generous, for most of us, just never, ever, ever comes true. Generosity is not a part of your wallet. Not, 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 not an issue of the wallet. It's an issue of the heart. So where do we go with this? Let me just throw an application out on you. And the application is to do something radically generous. Let me read a very familiar story for you. But I want you to listen. Just really listen close to this. Because Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. I mean, he's the godfather. He, he owns all the other tax collectors. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus saith unto him, whoa, there, little man, don't get carried away. You need not obsess about this. Ten percent is all that's required of you today. 
that's not what Jesus says. You're thinking, oh, that's cool. I like, no, no, Jesus didn't say that. And what's interesting here is, is Jesus has said nothing about money. Nothing. But as soon as Zacchaeus has a transforming relationship with Jesus, you know what happens? That grip on his heart with money? It lets go. One of the greatest apologetics for a real relationship with the Lord is your association or relationship with money. This is amazing. And Jesus, again, did not come to him and say, hey, only 10%. Only, only, you don't have to go this far. His generosity was evidence. Because Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus was lost, but he's not anymore. Now, Couple of, let me throw a couple of ideas at you. Maybe some things running through your mind. Some generous, radically generous uh, uh, thing you can do for somebody to demonstrate that you are a generous person. To demonstrate that you are a manager, not an owner. To demonstrate that, yes, you will keep and you do keep number eight. A couple of options. One, uh, let's, let's Malachi. It says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. I heard a sermon one time by Tony Evans. It was so good. I was going to try to fake it, and I can't do it like Tony can do. But, but he started off with his congregation. He said, we're, I can't mock his voice. Let me try it, though. He says, says I've got some very sad news. Disturbs me. Come to my attention that in the parking lot today, right now, we've got some stolen cars out there and in the homes of some of the people sitting right here today there's some stolen jewelry in their home some stolen furniture in their home and why is it stolen because they've stolen it from god they've taken money they're supposed to give to god and they've used it for themselves that's a great illustration isn't it and oh my goodness it cuts and maybe you would say today You'd say, you know, I've always thought about this tithing thing. And I know I should give more to church. But, you know, maybe today God would say to you, it's not, it's not an issue for tomorrow. Trust me on this. It's an issue for today. And you need to start in, in your tithes and offerings. Now, I recognize when I say that, that some folk might be suspicious of my motivation and say, oh, see, the church is always after our money. The church is doing okay, my understanding is, financially. Uh, God doesn't need anybody's money. Uh, but for your own walk with Christ, for your own transformation, we have to, we have to get a handle on this element of our life. So if you're suspicious of my motivation, let me, let me lead you in a different direction, away from FAC. The issue is that you be generous. And so let me give you a couple of their options. Uh, CAMA Services is the relief arm of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Let me encourage you to go to their webpage, front page, click on projects, and you can see their projects. They have projects of tsunami and earthquake relief in Japan. They have a project dealing with the um, reaching out to the street ladies of Mali, the gals who feel like they cannot do anything else if they and their children need to eat. Well, they've got a ministry reaching out to them. Fresh water in Senegal. If there's something there that grabs your heart, then get it. Throw yourself into it. Throw your wallet into it as well. 
Compassion International. Uh, I have had a compassion child for at least 25 years. And I remember when the first child I had, Nin Colin, who lived in Thailand, when, when Compassion sent me a letter saying, please don't send us your money anymore because Nin Colin has gone missing and we don't know where he's at. Well, I was sad because I've developed a, an emotional relationship with this kid. But beyond that, my, my respect for compassion went way out the roof. We've got a couple of compassion kids today in our family. Let me encourage you. Thirty-two bucks a month uh, can give the child food and education, Christian education, the gospel clothing, opportunities they might not have. Another uh, option, Samaritan's Purse. You're familiar with uh, Billy Graham's boy, Franklin Graham, uh, the Operation Christmas Child, all those shoeboxes we stuff with junk. This is an organization that does it. Uh, one of the things that they do, and it's fascinating, and I love this, they send out a Christmas catalog every year, and it should be coming out real soon, where you can buy goats for a family in, in uh, South America someplace. You can buy chickens for another family to raise. You can buy a soccer ball if you're, you know, you can just, it really is dependent on your money that you have available. You can buy a soccer ball that a little child might play with, or a, a blanket for somebody, or a llama, or if you're doing well right now, you can buy a medical clinic or a freshwater well for a tribe. What we've, what we've done, and we've been doing this for, for many years now, is at Thanksgiving, all of my kids get a, a, a pat, pouch, called a shepherd's pouch, and they're all challenged. You'll be praying and you'll be thinking about digging deep. What are you going to give back to Christ this year? He's given us so much. People give us Christmas, not just about give, uh, taking. It's about giving. What are you going to give? And so they're supposed to be praying and thinking this thing through. And then on Christmas Eve, we each take our pouch and we bring it to the little nativity scene in our house. And we put it at Jesus' feet at the manger. And then the next day, we, we count it up. And we go through the, the Christmas catalog. And we're ordering different things. And we, we're buying different things for um, some of the nations from the people in the world the issue isn't really these are just ideas the issue isn't really the, the what it's that you're generous there are organizations that will steal from you and rip you off uh, so you need to be careful but as we've been talking even this morning if there's somebody's name that the Holy Spirit brought to mind that you know this person needs something And maybe God's saying, yeah, and I want you to take some of that resource that I gave to you. Well, that's how I want it spent. So you go take care of it. What might you do in your commitment to do something radically generous? Let's just take a moment to to pray and bow our heads. Because I know, too, that if we went around the room, many of us, I certainly could, point back to times in my life. When I was just empty, I was done financially. And somebody listened to the voice of God and stepped forward and took some of the resource that God had given them and sent it my way. Oh, what a gift. Lord, it is our desire to be good stewards of the things you've given to us. God, recognizing that there will be an accounting one day. We want to be good managers. We want to enjoy the good gifts you've given us. And we recognize too, Lord, it's not an issue of us looking at each other or trying to judge each other, but judging our own hearts and asking you to show us how you would have us to live out the Eighth Commandment, to not steal, not to hoard the things you've given us for us, but to use them properly, wisely, for your kingdom's sake. I would ask God that we would be, that I would be a person of generosity.
that we would honor you with that which you've given to us, that we would watch and see you open the storehouses of heaven to pour down your blessings as we would seek to honor you. We, we do commit this very important element to you this week, God. And as we go back into the world you've called us from, even to be here this morning, our families and our works and the things that we do, when we go back, Lord, with a little bit more of understanding, God, I pray that your spirit would remind us tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. We would be people who don't just know your word, but who live it out. That Christ would be glorified in this world. That people would see and know that you're real. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.